So the big question is this. How do the best recruiters and recruitment business owners ride the highs and lows of recruitment whilst ensuring they remain at the top? How do they stay consistent? How do they manage their time? How do they cultivate the correct mindset? And what are the best recruiters and recruitment businesses doing differently? These are the questions that all recruiters want to know the answers to. This is the podcast where I have real and honest conversations with some of the most talented recruitment professionals globally to uncover all their secrets. My name is Hisham Azuz. Welcome to the Recruitment Rollercoaster Podcast. This podcast is sponsored and supported by my good friends at Hunted. Last year, Hunted helped over 300,000 recruiters all across the world. They're dedicated to improving not just the industry, but your place within it. If you want to be a better recruiter, have more resilience, see greater success in your recruitment career, or simply change jobs or country, then you need to check out hunted.com. I'd love you to check it out and let me know what you think. Welcome to the Recruitment Rollercoaster Podcast. My name is Hisham Azuz. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Christian James, who is the founder of a recruitment business called Hawkwood. Uh, Hawkwood are a HR specialist agency uh, who recruit specifically into tech, media, and creative. There's currently seven people in the business, including Christian, and they you founded the business four years ago. That's right, yeah, four, four years, years ago. Wow. Christian, thank you for joining me. No problem. Excited, Thanks for inviting uh, for me. For this one, we've been having a good chat about <laughs> all different things before we uh, started this. So, where I always like to start on this show, as I, as I was saying, with you being a business owner, we're definitely going to talk about your journey so far, the four year journey that's what we're going to focus on. But I always like to start with how you entered the world of recruitment. So, yeah, let's yeah. start there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, for a while, I've always said to people that I'm one of those kind of rare examples of someone who actually decided they wanted to work into in recruitment yeah. uh, and applied for a job in recruitment. Um, which is kind of kind of which is kind of true, but I recently had a realization that it's not the full story. Um, basically, I was at university, and uh, one night I kind of dreamt up an idea for a, an online business. Yeah. It's essentially a glorified affiliate marketing uh, scheme that would centre around uh, gift online gift purchasing specifically. Okay. And I don't know where the idea came from, but it just popped <laughs> into my head. And then basically I found a guy on my course at uni who could build websites. I knew nothing about building websites yeah. at the time. He so agreed. you recruited him? <laughs> In a roundabout <laughs> way, yeah. We were probably supposed to be listening to a lecture about economics or something, but I was pitching this idea to him. Right. And he said he'd build the websites for me for 1,500 quid. Decent. So I, we fleshed it all out and I spent a bit of time with him. And he started building the site. And um, I hadn't paid him anything up front. Um, and... He got about 90% of the way through the site and said, look, can I have some of the money now and the rest when we when I finish? And I said, yeah. you know what, that's fair enough. You've done yeah. loads of work and I've not paid you a penny yet. So we agreed I'd pay him a grand then and 500 quid uh, for yeah. the remaining 10% of the project. Anyway, paid him the grand and that was, he seemingly disappeared off the face of the earth no at that way. point. Yeah. So by this time I'd graduated from university, moved back home with my mum and I'd taken a temporary call centre job selling newspaper subscriptions over yeah. the phone just while I was waiting for him to finish the site. And um, 
once I kind of realised that actually this site was never going to get completed, he'd, he'd actually emigrated to, to Dubai, I think. Oh, wow. um, I kind of gave up on that dream. Um, yeah. And ultimately, at that point in time, as a 22-year-old, I think I was, you know, 1,500 quid or 1,000 pounds that I ended up losing was, a, you know, a sizable amount of money yeah. for me. Um, anyway, my mum started nagging me, look, get a proper job. I'd actually read James Kahn's autobiography while really? I was at school. Yeah, from, from Dragon's Den. on the uh, Dragon's Den. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, when I was a kid, any entrepreneur book I could find, I would, I would really? lap up. Yeah. Just a quick one on that. Have you watched uh, Shark Tank? Do you know what? I've never watched Mate, it. Mate, it's honestly... 10 times better than Dragon's Day. Really? Do you know what? I've, I've only been put off by the fact that I once watched The American Apprentice no, no, and no. I thought it was a complete shame. No, honestly, so. the shot, honestly, watch it. If anything comes out of this podcast, right? Okay, watch it's, shot it's, it's, it's on Netflix, I think. So yeah, yeah. Um, or the, Amazon. The only reason why, it, honestly, it's it's just ten times better than the really, yeah. Dragon's Den. Yeah, yeah. But anyone listening that enjoys stuff like that, can recommend it enough. Right. Really yeah, good, yeah. really good business people on there. I've listened to Damon John interviewed. Um, yeah, you got like the likes of Mark Cuban on yeah. there, um, Kevin O'Leary, Damon John. Um, they they got some heavy hitters on there. What what I like about it is um, they they really. Obviously, they're doing Dragon's Den, but they, they really do knuckle down on the business plan, and it's really interesting to see people's ideas. But and then there's like real deals made. We're talking like millions of pounds of investment. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Mate, no, go I watch like, Shark To be honest, I actually applied for Dragon's Den when I was doing this. Did you? When I was when I was doing that temporary job I told you about in anticipation of this product launching. Really? I applied for Dragon's Den, and they phoned me. And I kind of said, look, to be honest with you, I'm in a bit of a hole here. Like the website's not, so I'm going to have to pass up on it. So I so mean, you applied for Dragon's Den before you made any sales? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this, you, know, <laughs> the, you know, when you're 20... Mate, I love that. Well, you're 22 <laughs> years old and like you just think anything's possible, yeah, don't you? And, and I'd, I'd also applied for uh, the, the Apprentice a year really? earlier. Yeah, I auditioned for the Apprentice just after I finished uni. Again, with this same business plan. Mm. It's one of, you know, I wrote a whole business plan for it to go yeah. on the Apprentice. And I got through the first couple of stages and didn't get a call back. So, um, you know, I think at that age, I was just convinced that anything's possible yeah. like you are when you're young. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so, um, so yeah, my mum said, look, get a real job. I'd read James Kahn's autobiography as a kid. I kind of liked the idea of sales. And the reason I liked it is I always felt like I enjoyed um, learning more about people and, and in a kind of perverse way and, and probably a fairly cynical way like making judgments of people as to whether yeah. I would want to hire them or work mm. with them myself like mm. I'd analyze people I'd meet and think yeah they're a really good mm. you know someone who I think can have a really bright future or not I'd also done a lot of sales jobs at school so I'd done I'd sold double glazing over the phone I'd sold newspaper subscriptions over the phone really so that's what you did to get some money when you was at uni yeah so I'd, I, I was kind of well drilled in sales and I knew I enjoyed sales I knew I got a buzz out of it I'd always done pretty well at it to be honest and I liked the prospect of uh, uncapped earnings and you know in a sales job generally speaking your career progresses at whatever rate yep. your performance determines yeah, that's what I loved about it. rather than you know having to wait for a new job to come up a new senior job to come up so recruitment seemed to tick all those boxes for me um, so I basically did a Google search and a name that came up was Michael Page as a big big company mm. I didn't know much about it all but I looked at it it said FTSE 250 offices all around the world and I spoke to my mum's boyfriend he said look they seem like a really good outfit so I applied there um, on their kind of grad scheme I'd also uh, applied for a couple of other boutiques who, who both said no to me actually um, 
some fairly interesting interviews with, with them. So maybe uh, it turned out for the best. But yeah, um, I to be honest with you, I, d- I didn't have uh, do particularly well in terms of the assessment process of Michael Page. I got rejected by their legal division firstly, then Michael Page Technology rejected me, and then uh, Michael Page HR finally picked up on their sloppy thirds of it is. <laughs> um, and that's kind of how I ended up recruiting HR, really. Really? Mm. And and that's eight years ago now? It would have been eight years ago, yeah. yeah and, you say, and you've been operating in that market ever since? I have, much. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, well, actually, I, when I first started, they said you've got, you're doing HR into oil and gas and FMCG, which seemed like a fairly peculiar combo to me, but mm. I just kind of went with it. To be honest, I liked the FMCG side because those brands, I, I knew those brands, yeah, they were quite, quite cool. interesting. But oil and gas, I... I just never really understood what any of the companies did. Um, So basically someone left in our team. They said, if you want, you can do HR into media. I said, that's more me. Like I love marketing. I love advertising. It's a bit more in line with your personal. It is. Yeah. 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 And also like the candidates I could just relate to more. They were more my kind of people. So to be honest with you, that's when I really kind of got quite pumped up. And 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 what year was that? Um, so I started at Michael Page in I think 2012. Um, so I guess that would have been 2013 what, that I yeah. started doing kind of yeah, that, that media. Market, yeah. And then when I set up on my own, I kind of expanded that to media tech and creative, which yeah. is what we do now. All right, cool. Quick on before we go into yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Hawkwood then. Yeah. How did you do billings wise? Um, first year how so difficult was it my to be honest with you it's 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 a there's a few aspects to this answer really because it doesn't tell the full story my, my first year billings were, were really really good I was actually yeah. the number one uh, in, in Michael Page they had a leaderboard of yeah. uh, people within their first 12 months in the business and then everyone else you were top of that I was top I, I'd kind of Go on. I, I, yeah, I mean, I don't want to boast because it's like, I, it doesn't tell the full story, but I, I was like comfortably top of that. Really? Um, well, what did you do in the first year then, mate? Well, I think it was in the nine months I did. Do you know what? Like, Cringingly, I've still got a photo of the leader. Of course you have. Mate. I, have, I know. On. Do you know what? I have. I, I, if I can't remember yeah, now, over two hundred. It was over two hundred. Yeah. Really? Uh, and I was kind of yeah in the and in the nine months. Uh, it was perm. Yeah. <laughs> and to be honest with you, the, 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 this is kind of part of it, really, because I have to be honest with you, like as a 22 year old, when, when that happens and, 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 you know, I'd get directors coming up to me and being like, wow, you're doing really well. And especially having been rejected by Michael Page yeah, Legal yeah, and Michael Page Technology, and Michael Page HR sat in the middle of those oh, two. Wow. So if I'm honest, my ego got the better of me yeah. and I, I got really cocky and um, I, I kind of started to believe my own hype. And, and what I, what I realised in hindsight is actually my manager at the time, uh, a guy called Sam Watson, was doing a lot for me to help me deliver those numbers. I also had a lot of luck. I did work really, really hard, um, but those numbers definitely flattered me. And what happened is, because I'd had such an amazing first year, I just expected that to continue. Yeah. And the, the subsequent calendar year um, had an absolute shocker. I, really? I, I billed 90,000 in the whole year. Really? Yeah. Um, it was a real crushing blow. Do you, do you, do you think, it's really interesting to say that because I had a, a chap on not too uh, long ago called Nick Common and he, he was a top biller in a really big organisation as well. And he actually spoke a lot about, probably the first person to talk about actually that sort of being the top biller became part of his identity. Mm. And that actually, not that he was like, the, the, not that the sort of violins are going to come out, but like that actually came to detriment because like he had this 
unreal pressure on himself and standards to really live up to that. And if he wasn't a top biller, then what was he? So like, did I actually end up then having a, do you know what I mean? Because you then had that expectation on yourself and other people had it of you. Do you know what? Um, it's a really good point and, and something, to be honest, that's like uh, very, very true. I mean, I, so for context, I, I joined Michael Page. I was there for a few months. I then moved to London. At the time, I didn't actually have many friends in London. Yeah. And my job was basically everything that I kind of had really like mm. I, I, I honestly I'm, I, I, I'm you know whether I don't know if I'm embarrassed to admit this or not or not really I kind of am but you know I'd wake up on a Saturday morning thinking about placements and like visualizing yeah, myself making placements and I, it, it because the thing is it was going so well for me and and the thing is I'd spent my whole youth reading autobiographies of successful entrepreneurs and I just wanted to be successful so yeah. badly but when, when it was coming true I was literally in, on cloud nine and you know my, my I remember my MD sitting me down and when they promoted me from associate consultant, which is their graduate level to consultant. And he said to me, you know, we see your career going like that. And for anyone listening, it was a kind of uh, <laughs> sharp upward trajectory motion. Yeah. They gave me a bigger pay rise than they were supposed to give me for the level yeah, I got yeah. to. And I was, you know, my name was number one on the leaderboard and, and everyone was, you know, praising me and the yeah. divisions who turned me down were saying, oh, we think we made, and, and to be honest, it went to my head. And, and, that, and what happened is, um, when it all started to go wrong, I really struggled to cope with it. And, yeah. um, you know, when you go from loving work to thinking, and it's, it's basically everything in your life, to, to all of a sudden hating it and feeling ashamed and feeling like everyone feels like you're letting them down every day because you're not delivering what you were before. You're yeah. used to being golden boy and now no one cares about you. My, uh, my ability was being called into question. Yeah. And from my perspective, I was doing everything the same I'd done before, but I had a bit less hand-holding inevitably because I was there a longer time. Yeah. I had some bad luck. And, and to be honest with you, my, my early success close me off to the learning opportunity of failure because yeah. I didn't experience that but also my my arrogance meant that I felt like I was doing everything perfectly and had nothing to learn and so that was a big big lesson for me and to be honest with you um, my it has changed me forever because right, awesome. I, I was such a cocky little SHIT yeah. um, and I now reflect on that period of my life with yeah, a you lot don't, of you definitely don't come across like that now um, How old are you now? I'm 31 now. Yeah, yeah. Um, got a bit more life experience. To, to be honest with you, and, and this is kind of interesting because it, genuinely, I, I know this sounds dramatic, um, and this will tell you maybe everything about how obsessive I am to a you know in, in a negative way. But it, it was a really difficult period for me because all of my self-esteem was built around yeah, my ability totally to be successful, and actually, I, my confidence has never fully recovered from it. But actually, in a roundabout way, it was probably one of the best things that's ever happened to me yeah. because right. it flushed out the arrogance and caused me to, you know, led me to, to learn humility, which has been a, a big, mate, big breakthrough. Yeah, so key, mate. I think, yeah, I can relate to that. I mean, I definitely didn't build uh, 200K in my first year, but um, I think something that I've um, learned is, yeah, not to get too high on your own supply. Mm. Um, mm. And, and it's really important to, to stay grounded in these types of things. Um, so just to sort of finalise that, mm. and let, let's definitely dive into yeah, you yeah. starting your own business. Yeah, yeah. Uh, those people listening, um, what advice do you wish you'd received then before... Um, at, the, at the beginning of year one, what, what, knowing what you know now, what advice do you wish that you'd received? I think, to be honest with you, um, something that I wish I'd known more um, is the importance of uh, learning about mindset, 
because mm. I think it basically underpins everything. So, for example, um, I mentioned when I was a kid, I used to read a lot of entrepreneurial autobiographies. I'd, I'd, read, I'd read a few broader books, like Seven Habits of Highly Effective yeah. People at that point, but I hadn't gone into the wider psychology category in, with the depth mm. um, and breadth that I have now. Mm. And actually, as well as life experience, I've learned a huge amount from broader books on leadership, philosophy, yeah, nice. psychology, and things like that. And re- the recruitment is fundamentally a game of mindset. Yeah. So, for example, um, I, when I first came into recruitment, felt quite insecure about how young I looked at the time, yeah. going out meeting senior clients, and I used to get very, very nervous meeting both candidates and clients because I felt like they just would be sat across me thinking, yeah. why am I sat with you, yeah, you yeah. chump? So I realized that I could either just kind of accept that that's the way it is, or I could work on a way to try and exuberate confidence that I didn't have. Mm. Um, so I bet I read a book on nonverbal communication because okay. I thought if I can come across as confident, yeah. maybe they will buy into me and me seeing them buy into me will actually give me confidence. Mm-hmm. So kind of fake it till you make it. I watched a really important TED Talks by Amy Cuddy called Fake It Till You Make It, which yeah. kind of instilled that. And then I just spent a lot of time really learning about my market because I realized if I knew what I was talking about, I would be more confident. Yeah. And, and, it, and what, what weirdly happened is I began to relish exceeding expectations. And what I mean by that is rather than see my relative like youth and, and immaturity as a hindrance, I saw it as an opportunity to yeah. just smash their expectations to bits. And I buzzed off that challenge. So if someone had said to me before I got into recruitment, you know, you can do all of the training around sales and different bits like that, but you need to understand humility, you need to understand uh, empathy, you need to understand nonverbal communication, all of these different things. I could have learned them at a much quicker rate than I have now, and I think it would have equipped me for success at a much yeah. earlier stage. So I think that's probably what I would say. Love that. So clearly someone that's always wanted to have their own business. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. So when... When did you feel like recruitment was that then? Like, was it, yeah, was it, obviously you did, worked in a micropage for four and a bit years. And it was like, well, this is definitely a vehicle that could enable me to have my own business. Do you know what? It's, um, on some level, I'd always known I'd want to set up my own yeah. uh, recruitment business, which probably doesn't come as a surprise based on what I've said. But um, I wasn't sure when I would do it. I always thought it would be much later in life. I, yeah. I, for some reason, I had it in my head, you had to have 10, 15 years recruitment yeah. experience. Um, and essentially what happened was some guys left Michael Page, set up their own agency called 3Search, um, okay, did, yeah, no, did no. really, really well. Was that Joe Cutter? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, those guys, they did really, really well. And funnily enough, Joe, I, I just got promoted to manager. Mm. Literally, as soon as I updated it on LinkedIn, I got a message from him. He must have seen an update yeah. saying, hey, would you be interested in having a chat? Yeah. We're looking at maybe launching an HR division. And I said to him, look, I've just been promoted. I don't see myself leaving just yet, but yeah. I do envisage following myself following a different, a similar path to you guys in the yeah. future. So if you're happy to meet me on the proviso that I'm purely fishing for information, then I'd be more than happy to meet you, but I do want to be upfront. I'm not yeah, joining yeah, yeah, you. Yeah, nice. He said, yeah, let's meet. Met him and actually began to get quite excited about the prospect of setting up yeah, something. Yeah. And then I said to him, look, I'm interested, but I've got some concerns about the deal you're proposing. So let's have a further conversation. So anyway, the long and short of it is, I'm someone who wants control. 
uh, I want to do my own mm. thing. So what he, he spoke about backing you? About a partnership, yeah. yeah. And, and I realized, I did some soul searching and thought to myself, you know, that is a really viable option for a lot of people. But if yeah. I'm if honest I'm gonna with do myself this, I want it. about my drivers, I want to be the decision maker. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Um, and I want it to, I want to be able to build it in my own, in my own image. So, um, so I, you know, said no and maintained a really good relationship with those guys and, 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 um, and ultimately um, decided I set up on my own. Now, the issue is it, it did come along a lot sooner than I maybe expected. I didn't have much money behind me at the time. So I basically set about um, saving enough money over a six month period. Yeah, I was going to say, what advice did you get? So six months, you you saved enough money where you didn't have to worry about income for six months. Yeah, I basically I thought right, how can I strip my living cost back to the basics? So no gym membership, I wouldn't be eating out. Yeah. Um, all of these different things. I I talked to you about uh, my living situation just yeah. off air, but I, I moved into a grotty house share in Limehouse with yeah. three other people. I had damp on the walls. Um, <laughs> You know, so just reduce your outgoings. Yeah, I reduced my outgoings. And then I said, right, what, so I now know that's the amount of money I need to live off of for six months. I looked at it and thought, right, I might make a placement. It might They might have a three-month notice period. Payment terms are going to be 30 days, but I might not get paid for 60 days. Yeah. So I probably need, um, including the time to make the placement, six months' worth. Yeah. Um, you know, people said, look, that's probably not enough. Other people said you Mate, should be some fine. people gave me, like, three months. Yeah, yeah. I gave myself three, three months. Well, look, and to be honest, with you you know and 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 it's perfectly viable to do that you know i think basically i i, I then said to myself right i've now got six months i'm gonna uh, i'm gonna save all my bonuses yeah. but i'm also gonna have six months to plan this out now all i was doing at that point was coming up with a name for it thinking about how i position myself from in terms of my usps yeah. and all that kind of stuff people will say look were you nicking data at that point i mean look irrespective of whether anyone would hear this no there's, there's no value in it you've got linkedin so yeah, yeah. your preparation shouldn't be concerned around nicking data and stuff like that it should just be focusing on getting your own house in order yeah nice um so that's what i did and then i i kind of was really honest with the, the with michael page i said look guys like i'm not desperately unhappy here to be honest with you i've just done a bit of soul searching and i know what i want this for my life and, yeah. and this is what I'm going to do. It was really amicable. I have to say they were great. They really? took it really, really well. They were really supportive. Still remain, contain good relationships with them. That's and, and got going from my bedroom, I mentioned earlier. All right, so starting in your bedroom. So you clearly had a business plan. Yeah, kind How of. How important was that in your I think a lot of people think about that. How prepared do I need to be? I think six months is a great thing to talk about in terms of how much money I should save. Just a, just a quick one that I mm. wanted to highlight. Yeah, yeah. You, how, how many, if you're thinking about starting your own recruitment business, how many of you are actually thinking about what, how could I reduce my spendings? Like, how, are you actually, do you know what I mean? A lot talk about, people talk about earning more money. Mm. Okay, well, let's take a step back for a minute. What could you cut out of your life that enables you to not spend as much money? This is it. I mean, it looks. <laughs> I think that's such an important thing to highlight because we're all in the world of spending and I need more money, I need more salary, I need more money, blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, Let's have a look at what you're spending currently. Like, what can you reduce to make your life a bit easier? And do you know, it's, it's easier said than done for the simple reason being, and it's linked to what you said earlier, you know, I, I'd got to a point in Michael Page where I was earning decent money. And when yeah. I think about my friendship group, they, you know, they had a level of expectation around the lifestyle that I was yeah, beginning sure. to live. And all of a sudden I was saying, look, guys, I'm not going to do that. Or, you know, they were seeing me wearing the same clothes for, for a year, <laughs> hadn't been on holiday for two years. You know, it, it can be a little bit humbling, but you've got to put your ego to one side and say, yeah. I'm not going to be flash anymore. I don't need to live up to anyone else, else's yeah. expectations of going to that restaurant or that bar. I'm going to, you know, sac sac make some sacrifices for the next year because I know that this, this is going to pay dividends for me and liberate me to live a lifestyle mm. that I want to live. Okay, cool. 
business plan. Yeah, yeah. So how important was that? Um, so what I would say is I think that uh, just going back to what I said before about mentality, you know, doing a proper business plan is symptomatic of someone who's got the right mentality. Like, mm. you, you know, you, you should be serious about this. Yeah. Um, my business plan was okay. Um, it was quite broad. I'm not a really financial kind of data kind of yeah. guy. It's not my style. So my business plan was very much, right, what am I... Uh, what's my strategy in terms of bringing on new board new clients um, I'd you know look at looked at kind of specific sectors and that kind of stuff yeah. that I could target clearly uh, I factored in all my costs I'd modeled that forward in terms of how long I could survive for yeah. but I hadn't factored in billings projections or anything like that I'd clearly gone through and identified all the suppliers I was going to use for my yeah. CRM my phone system and all that kind of stuff and to be honest with you, that's as much as I did. But, you know, I should caveat that by saying at the time, I, d I had no idea where it was going to go. I didn't know if I'd be a one-man band. You didn't or, know that? No, I, did, I didn't know if I'd be a one-man band or something bigger. I, I clearly on some level wanted it to be something bigger, but I didn't want to put extreme pressure on myself. Whereas I've seen some other people who you know they, they, they're instantly thinking I want this to turn into something so they're thinking right I'm going to start I'm going to hire someone immediately and they're running a loss making business for a period of time yeah. mine was always going to be bill get up and running get a database get some money in the bank see how it goes and then, then just gradually try start to try and hire people so I wasn't set you know I wasn't building to I wasn't yeah. setting something up with a view to selling it or anything like that. I just wanted to create a different lifestyle for myself. So if you if you're someone who wants to hire quickly and grow and you know diversify into new markets and that kind of stuff, you are going to need a more robust business plan. Yeah, it than depends. I had, on, I yeah, think. that's fair enough. Okay, a few things on that. Mm. Let's just talk about the first year for a second. Yeah. So first thing, um, clearly, obviously, something that a lot of people will be thinking about. How I'm going to have covenants, how the hell I'm going to acquire clients, I'm worried about getting money in the bank. That's definitely going to be a huge fear for a lot of people. How did you approach winning clients then? So we've had a few people share that the first thing they did was look at their LinkedIn connections, who can help me, send them a message, and quickly realize that it's not as many people as they thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> how, did you, how did you acquire, yeah, the first six, 12 months, how mm. did you acquire clients yeah yeah so i think there are a couple of as aspects to it so the first is is content um so i wrote a blog post on linkedin about what i was doing and why i was doing it yeah. and, and what my the foundations of the business would be based on in yeah. terms of our core principles and and really that was greeted with um uh, a lot of positivity because you know, I'd worked at, at Michael Page. It's a it's a brand within the creative tech and media space that isn't necessarily a go-to. Yeah. Um, you know, those PR agencies, ad agencies, they want to deal with a boutique specialist where possible. Mm. So actually, the candidate and client relationships I built through Michael Page were actually more positive towards me once I'd set up than they had been previously. Okay, um, and that's not a, a slight at Michael Page. Michael Page are very strong in certain areas, but you know. Michael Page as a brand doesn't open doors in ad agencies yeah, for fair you. Enough. So the minute I became an independent, they liked it and they started reaching out to me. And when I put a blog out there, it was really quite honest around, look, guys, I don't know if this is going to work. Yeah. Um, this is why I'm doing it. It's really important to me. But, you know, if it doesn't work, so be it. And generate clients. It did, yeah. I got a few. In my first month, I made two placements. Um, first month? Yeah, yeah. How yeah. did I mean, tell you then? They were, so really, they were couple, couple they, they were a six-month fixed-term contract and a three-month fixed-term contract yeah. or something. So they were very quick turnaround. They're still there. But at that point, you get a job, you work it to the bone. Yeah. Um, so um, Okay, content. Sharing. So, so, so just a quick one on that. Mm. Being open on this, sharing your journey, 
couldn't I couldn't like that will have an impact if you if you think like honestly people will buy into that I've heard so many times dealing uh, speaking to smaller businesses like yourselves that as you just said businesses actually buy into the journey that you're in um, and when you actually clearly communicate look client this is the journey we're on I'd love you to be part of it blah 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 and people actually really buy into that they do they do I mean at the end of the day you, you know you, you've got to tell a story um, you've got to uh, endear people to you and, and they want to know who you are and mm. and I think a level of vulnerability is looked on really favorably because the, the recruitment sector is quite egocentric you know there's a lot of here's us popping another bottle of champagne here's us out here so actually I've just kind of thought like I don't want to be that I want to be myself Um, and I told you before I've had some humbling lessons in recruitment and the great thing is that has been the driver behind the brand message that I've put out on behalf of Hawkwood which is just really honest we don't do everything perfectly we've made a lot of mistakes but I'm trying my best and the good thing is you know when you go out there and you put that kind of story out there and it's transparent you're demonstrating you've got skin in the game. You're saying, look guys, I'm putting everything on the line here. My ego's on the line, everything else. And people know that that counts for something because you're going to work a bit harder. So uh, being open and vulnerable straight out of the bat massively helped. It did, Anything else? Beyond that, I quite simply pulled up my 6,000 at the time LinkedIn connections, went through them. Anyone I was allowed to speak to, i.e. outside of my covenants, I sent a message. Hey, we spoke here. This is what I'm doing now. Um, If you are looking for a new role, let me know. You know, it's worth me saying we recruit HR. They they manage hiring for their own company. So anytime yeah. we're speaking to a candidate, we're speaking to a, a potential client. client. So for me, my approach in recruitment has always been just treat candidates well and with respect yeah. as much as you possibly can. It's sometimes hard. It takes time, but it's worth it. So for me, that was that was it really. And then I did a bit of general kind of ad chasing. You know, who's hiring? Send them a message. Hey, I've spent this long recruiting into this market. I've just set up on my own. This is what I'm going to be doing. You know, I'm not ashamed to admit at the time, I part, one part of that email would say, look, I'm happy to do a fairly reduced fee rate on the basis yeah. I'm just getting going. Um, yeah. And then I've gradually increased those fee rates over time. But, you know, it works. Like, it's simple stuff, really. Yeah. Okay. And then final thing, um, just to help people out. Yeah. Tools that you invested in. Yeah, yeah. What tools did you invest in to start then that you looked at that have been impactful? So um, I wanted to make sure I had a piece of recruitment software from the get-go because... Um, you know, I think when, when you're building a business, um, whether you are certain that it's going to become something bigger or not, you, from the early days, have to imagine you're building something bigger yeah, because it will put the right practices and systems in place. And I knew that if I got trading for six months using Excel spreadsheets <laughs> to manage candidates, I've then got a huge task on my hand to migrate that data across. So some people might say, oh, you don't want to waste money on a CRM in your first few months. I couldn't agree any less. This is your data. This is this is your stock. This is, mm. you know, this is your product. So you, you have to have that managed properly. So. CRM from the get-go. I used Profile because that's what we used at Michael Page, yeah. but we've subsequently changed to something called VinCherry, which we prefer. Yeah, cool. Um, the other thing I would say is is a VoIP uh, phone system, an internet-based phone system. Yeah. You know, when you're running your own business, um, I think it's important you have a landline number on your website in terms of credibility rather than yeah. a mobile, if where possible. And that gave me a London-based number. Um, yeah. They're no contract. And the good thing is, anywhere you've got a Wi-Fi signal, you're on that landline number. So if I'm working from home, if I'm working from my mum's house, if I'm working from you know, a co-working it. space, I just bought a USB headset to plug into my laptop, had a VoIP-based phone system. I've got an 0207 number there. And, and that was that. And, and really, that was it. I didn't even have a 
premium yeah. LinkedIn account at the time. But at the time, you didn't. There were less. There were fewer restrictions, so I could actually achieve. Yeah, you could do quite a bit of it, couldn't you? You could search, um, and you, I would just connect with people, and then send them a message. So I had no emails, and then over time, LinkedIn increased the restrictions, and I, st- I bought a LinkedIn Recruiter Lite, and then upgraded to LinkedIn Recruiter Pro, and now all the guys, myself included, have a LinkedIn Recruiter Pro. Right, yeah. And unfortunately, as expensive as it is, I think it is essential in this day and age, really. Yeah. Okay, cool. So CRM, um, VoIP system. Mm. Um, okay, mate. Interesting. First year then. How did you do then, mate? To be honest with you, I was blown away. What did you do um, first year? I, oh, I should know my number. I told you I didn't know my numbers well. but So again, I, coincidentally, I started at the same time I started at Michael Page. So I started in, in March, I think. Yeah. Um, between March and December, I think I built about 220 grand Fucking or something. Hell. I know. It was, is this perm or contract? This was mostly perm some contract. Mate. That's I know. big. To be honest with Did you. Did you expect that? No way. No way. I mean, I just for context, I met a friend of mine before I started who um, ran his own solo recruitment business. Yeah. And he said to me, and this is before I set up, and he said, oh, I've done 30 grand this month. And I remember at the time thinking, if I ever, ever build 30 grand in a month for my own recruitment agency, I will be absolutely overjoyed and the reality is I think in month three I'd already done that Mm. Um, now month three I think was pretty much the best month of the year I'd I'd had granted uh, first or second anyway Um, why do why do you think you why do you think you was able to do that um there was definitely some luck in there. Yeah, uh, I got yeah, I, you I, made your own luck though, right? I really believe that. You, you, to an extent, yeah, yeah. Would yes, largely I would agree. Yeah, um, I did make a few big fees. Beyond that, to be honest with you, and it, this is why it links back to mindset. Like I went into it with my mindset right, um, and, and what I mean by that, and this isn't, I'm not saying I'm special or anything, yeah. but I, but I, I made it important enough that there was no way it wasn't going to work. Um, Mate, you fully back yourself, self belief. It's it's basically a case of. Um, if you go in, if you set up a recruitment business and you're, you you feel like you're not sure if it's going to work, every time you have a bad day, you're going to be questioning whether yeah. it's worth continuing. And every time That's you really go to every time you go to chase a piece of business, you're going to be questioning whether or not it's worth you even chasing because you think they're probably not going to use me anyway. Now, whether it's true or not. What you're generating is something called decision fatigue, which is every day you're giving yourself a decision to make. Do I continue or not? Now, decision fatigue is something that isn't spoken about enough, but it's a real, real drain on energy. Because if every day you're waking up thinking, am I doing the right thing or am I not? You're undermining everything you mm. do. And it's a huge distraction. And that, and that shows up even when you're not aware of it. It does. Like So look, you know, that's a really silly example, but Steve Jobs was famous for wearing that black roll neck every day, right? And, and Mark Zuckerberg wears a black t-shirt every day. Exactly, they didn't have to think about it's, it's one less decision to make every day now I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm like Mark Zuckerberg or Steve yeah, Jobs yeah, yeah. but what I'm saying is I think for a lot of people in their careers they think am I in the right job or not should I carry on here and another year and, and, it, and it manifests itself yeah. in um, corner cutting and things like that now for me I said look I've put everything on the line here and I'm desperate for this to work because I'm fu- for the first time in my life I feel like I'm on the right path for me which is one of entrepreneurship so I said there's no way I'm not going to let this work so it was never a case of do I get up at seven o'clock today yeah, or eight no plan o'clock. B. It was just, I've got a schedule, I know what I need to do, I'm committed to it, and I'm, and I'm just gonna power through. And you know, there was a, I remember a situation with a FinTech I was working up with. I picked up a job with them. Um, I had a candidate who um, uh, turned down an offer. Then they said, right, we've got a backup candidate who we're gonna offer the job to. This was on a Friday afternoon. And I thought, oh, damn it, I've like blown this. And I remember at the time thinking, do you know what? 
I've just got a feeling that other candidate isn't going to take it either. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why, but they're a startup. Yeah. There's a new role for them. There's a lot of ambiguity here. So I decided, even though they had an offer out on another candidate, I would spend the whole weekend re-shortlisting the job. Come Monday, I submitted a new shortlist. Lo and behold, the other candidate didn't take it, and I filled the job. And the point is, you have to be prepared to do that kind of stuff now. And that's just, you know, I'm not talking about that specifically, but that relentless approach to just keep going. Um, and that's basically, I, I just went, you need to understand, like I was, from a young age, I was the kid selling, uh, you know, uh, everything on the playground like I, anyone wanted a cd i'd burn it on my computer at home and sell yeah. it to them like for me like entrepreneurship has just been my absolute yeah. goal so, so the minute i was let off the leash it was like i'm just gonna go yeah, with all everything I've so got just, now. A, just quick one on that and then we'll talk about year two etc um how obviously you start this on your own right yeah yeah so like how obviously clearly you had that innate like you as you're just talking about there there's definitely a factor of you've been this way since you were little but how when it's just you how did you continue to cultivate that because there's no you can't look at anyone and go you can't turn around and go yeah like we've really put it in today like it's just you in a shared fucking flat or whatever do you know what i mean so like how how did you continue that because that's probably where a lot of people also feel like if I'm just starting on my own, like, how am I going to continue? Like, yeah, no yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, how did you, how did anything that you did on a daily basis that enabled you to cultivate that besides just having that innate, complete drive to do it? It's a really difficult one because, yeah, the, the, there's an element of you just have to cultivate that mentality in yourself and, and that's what I have done. Um, and again, anyone can do this. I'm not saying there's anything special yeah. here, but you, it just has to become important enough to you. And I know that, you know, at the end of the day, if you're doing this for someone else, then you're, you are going to fail, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. When I was in my old job at Michael Page, um, I, you know, when I used to get promoted or when I used to get a well done from my MD, I, you know, I have to be honest, I felt really indifferent about uh, feedback and, and recognition from other people in the business. And not because I was ungrateful, but because I knew that their expectations of me were less than 50% of the expectations that I have on myself. Mm. So it's kind of... Um, it doesn't mean a lot to me. Like a well done when you're, if you if you expect me to achieve a six out of 10 in my career and you're telling me well done, that might mean I'm on track for a six out of 10 when I yeah. want a 10 out of 10. Yeah. So I, a well done doesn't mean a lot to me. So, um, and I hope that doesn't make me come across as like ungrateful or, no, or anything no. like that, but it's, it's the truth in that I, no one, no, there's no point me being accountable to other people because none of their expectations of me are going to uh, are going to match up to my expectations on myself. So, I am was my own worst critic, um, and I would just push myself every single day. Beyond that, I think you you have to get a real thrill out of it because it is it is hard and it is lonely. But believe me, picking up a new client, making a placement, it was just such a buzz, and I I felt like I like I said it earlier, I've been let off a leash and I was just ready yeah. to go. And then finally, there are a few tools like we talked with recording a podcast now like um you know podcasts by people doing stuff it just mo makes you feel like you're less alone reading books about entrepreneurship or resilience yeah, or anything it makes you feel like you're not and cr you know cringe i'm embarrassed to admit this but youtube has a whole uh, library of what they call motivational videos <laughs> and, and, yeah, and, and yeah, yeah. some of them are really cheesy but some of them are really good and, and they've got really nice backing music and it's just people talking about their experiences and why you know I, I love ones by you know people like Will Smith talking yeah, about his, his, his mindset I really like him 
you know, people like Gary Vaynerchuk, people like that, but you know, a whole host of entrepreneurs and people like that. And I would just have those on repeat <laughs> in the background because yeah. they just give me a little G up, you yeah, know? Love that. Okay. So year two then, hmm. got some money in the bank. I'm sure you can afford a gym membership now, right? <laughs> so, what, um, so what? What? So now? So I'm. I'm sure you got to the end of the year. Then year one I was like, right, okay. Was there a decision to be made, or was like, right? Do you know what I mean? Was there a bit of a point where I was like, right, okay. So, what's the plan for the next year and so on? What? What? Yeah. What happened then? Yeah. I mean, the truth is, I was still kind of taking every day as it comes. I, I think I was so grateful that it was going well. I was winning clients. I definitely exceeded my expectations in terms of what I'd achieved. Yeah. I just, I, I think I was just living in the moment and enjoying it. Um, and then basically, uh, a friend of mine, an ex-colleague, Peter. So Peter joined Michael Page about six months before I left. We struck it off. We're both Arsenal fans. We used to go to the games together. And uh, he said to me he was thinking about leaving Michael Page, um, but he was actually thinking about leaving recruitment at the time. So I didn't kind of bring the topic up or anything like that. But once he started looking at different things, I don't think he found anything that quite suited. And I said, look, why don't you come and join me? Like, a, mm. you know, I think it will give you something a bit different. Um, so he did. So he joined. And, and to be honest with you, um, had he not done so, I really don't know where I'd be today because I think that first hire is so crucial um, and he has an owner mentality. You know, he 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 treats the business with the level of care as if it's his own um, and that's something really hard to find and really special. So having him there just gave me a framework to, to build around. Um, and this was uh, how, how long into the, was that? That was year? about a year into tra- trading. I think he might have joined me in May. You know, I just yeah, launched yeah, in March, March. Sub- okay, subsequent so May. So just over a year. And, you know, I hadn't put, I hadn't put headcount pressures on myself, to Fair be enough. honest with you. But it was very opportune. And, and, you know, it's honestly worked out really, really well. And then, okay, cool. So then just to frame it up then. So then the year, year two and three, did mm. you then hire more people around you guys? We did. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, made some mistakes along the way, to be honest mm. with you as well but we've we've made some really good hires so um yeah we've we've we've, i'm trying to think about how it all happened now but we hired uh, in the year that we hired peter uh so i've just spoken about we also hired hannah i believe um towards oh sorry hannah joined the subsequent january so peter joined may i think yeah hannah then joined in the subsequent january fiona then joined us in that october so you know you know not really quick hiring here and then but i think what's happened to be honest with you is um it it was a, a a confidence thing i what I don't want to do is hire someone and for them not to have enough jobs to recruit day to day to get them going on the expectation they'll bring in some of their own business over time but I don't want it to be a cold BD yeah. job for anyone so you wanted to enable, ensure they had the platform yeah and, and equally I've, I want to hire people that I really really believe in because mm. you know recruitment agency has a real high staff turnover um, as an industry and um, you know I don't want to bring people in put my heart and soul into training them and then for them to to leave so it's really important for me that they kind of like fit their fit our values as best as we can and they really care about doing a good job um so quick quick one on that mm, sorry yeah yeah sorry to butt in no um i think obviously you just said they made a few mistakes along the way blah 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 so what have you what have you learned up until this point now knowing what you know now have you got sort of key i know that you've sort of learn as you've gone on and stuff like that which is fair but have you sort of identified or learned any sort of hiring triggers that 
you felt, you know what, I'm feeling way more confident to bring someone in now yeah. that you could share. This is so crucial. Go on, like, this give is so, it to us, so mate. But like, look, the reality is I don't know all the answers, but the first thing to say is you have to believe that your business is worthy of someone joining. Right. And that's where I went wrong. Um, I looked at my business and I saw a website I wasn't proud of. I knew we had, you know, sloppy systems internally. And it was frankly me and Peter making it up as we went along, yeah. uh, trying our best. And when someone expressed interest in joining us, I felt so incredibly flattered and grateful that I'd put them on a pedestal and I'd almost feel embarrassed and self-conscious to interview them because wow. I felt like they should be interviewing me for why they should join me. Um, and what happened is I was so incredibly grateful that, you know, I, I, and the people I offered were, were, were generally good people. The people I, I, I hired were generally good people, mm. but the issue is, I didn't manage expectations well enough and I was kind of pandering to them. I felt very self-conscious of the fact that it was just them sat in a small room and me and Peter all day. Mm. And um, how could that be fun for them? So I'd go out my way to try and make them laugh or make it fun. I didn't want to put any pressure on them to deliver certain things or build because I felt like, who am I to pressure you wow. when you're doing me this favor of being here with me today and spe you know, but buying into my journey? So. You know, it's it's a challenge to be honest with you, and it might be something that's more personal to me based yeah. on my own makeup as a person. But it might be something other people struggle with. But the first thing you have to do is get your business to a point where you feel like, do you know what? I, don't, I actually back this outfit, and I think I can offer something good to someone. The second part of that is you do have to drill people when you're interviewing them. You know, in terms of really getting into their motivators. So one thing I fell foul to is, you know, someone had done lots of internships. Great, okay, I, I was impressed by that, but. How did they get those internships? Why did they do them? What did they get from them? Mm. Because actually, what I subsequently found is their dad, had, you know, put, put the phone yeah. book out and set them up with internships with a few of their mates. It doesn't necessarily show initiative. It doesn't necessarily show drive because they might be doing it just to appease their dad. So it's not just what they've done, but it's why they've done it and how they've done it. Mm. But my my insecurity around interviewing them led me to not want to get to that yeah, level yeah, of debt. Yeah, yeah. The next thing is you've got to be really honest and manage expectations. You've got to be ready for that person to say, do you know what, this isn't for me, for me. I'm going to walk away. You can't you can't try and append them to them and say, oh, well, if you don't like that, I can change that for yeah, you. Yeah, or, yeah. you know, you have to be ready to say, look, this is what I expect. This is the way it's going to be. I appreciate that's not going to be for everyone. If you like the sound of that, great. If you don't, then yeah, unfortunately. That's awesome. And then the third, the final thing is onboarding. You know, again, it's about expectation yeah. management, but I truly did not appreciate the, the importance of a good onboarding experience. Onboarding has to be you and that person spending a huge amount of time together, communicating. These are the expectations, giving them constant feedback. I used to feel so nervous giving people feedback because I thought, well, they might just say, screw you, this place is a joke. You know, you, yeah. there's two of you guys sat in a room. So you've got to get over that. But the onboarding part is so unbelievably important. Really? Yeah. Mate, thanks for being so honest with that. No. No, I, think no, no. I think that's awesome. No. Um, so I'm sure people would love to hear. So during, so through that sort of, and obviously you hear about the challenge, the hiring challenge recruitment agencies all have, right? Which is just so ironic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy. But how, how just to frame it up quickly. Yeah. How, how did you do performance wise as a business then? So the cracking first year, got, got your guy uh, Peter in, you said. Um, so year two to sort of going into year four now, how, did you carry on going on a good trajectory or what did kind that look like? Kind of, kind of. So we had an absolutely, so I'm just trying to think in terms of how the best way to describe it, but let's say year one was the year I said about year, which is yeah. March to December, just me. Yeah. That was great. Year two, me and Peter, um, 
I can't remember what we build now, but it was a decent uplift. It was probably a what, 40% uplift or on that, uh, something maybe in that ballpark. Yeah, three, four hundred. Um, and then the subsequent year was really, really good, like amazingly good. And million? I, I, Did he hit Brett the million? No, 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 he didn't. But um, it was something that just, you know, I could not believe my luck. And then last calendar year, we had a real reality check, to be honest. Really? Between, yeah, yeah, yeah. 2019 was a tough year for us. Came into the year um, among under a cloud of kind of Brexit uncertainty. I'd also been naive. We had a really good November and December the previous year year we kind of took a foot off the gas in December I said look let's have Christmas off came into January Brexit uncertainty no pipeline we've just filled it all in December Q1 Q1 was a bit of a shambles for us we lost money in January clawed it back a little bit in February but we're still you know not, yeah. not in a profit uh, I don't think um, and I lost my confidence I thought the market's going really? belly up you know Brexit's taken its toll um, and I started panicking and thinking quite short term, we just need to get some money in and get things going. Then um, Hannah, who was one of our most experienced members, um, she had an opportunity to move to New York oh, wow. uh, with her husband. He wanted to go. So I said to her, look, I think you should go. I think it'd be a great move for you. You're at an age where you can, yeah. you know, you should experience the world and, and do, and it'd be really important to your husband to go. Um, so she went, we were then behind on headcount. I didn't have the confidence to rehire because wow. the numbers weren't great. So we were playing catch up. We got through it. We we sat, we sat. managed to kind of resurrect it. We made some good hires in the end. And it, 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 it finished as a credible year, um, but not a good year. So, you know, we, we were too slow to hire. I think that one thing I learned is you, you can't be quite as responsive to the market as I was when it comes to hiring. Being reactive. Yeah, I was too reactive. I was like, have we had a good month or not? Should we hire or not? Yeah, you know, yeah. and actually you you have to have a, a broad plan. You have to trust in the process. You don't want to go above and beyond and start hiring like crazy. But, you know, if someone leaves and you were, you know, it, you know, it was going well, you, you replace that yeah. person. I've, I've heard a lot to have the mentality of all, like always be hiring. So I've sat that a chat that I had on too recently that he's he's a CEO of a global recruitment business, eighty people, um, really quite successful. He actually set up the um, his name's Ricardo. He set up the Latin American arm of Michael Page, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And he said a big part of how he's been able to scale is he he interviews recruiters on a weekly basis. So that's that's interesting that you say that. But again, mate, thanks for the honesty. I guess on on that then, um, as you said, reality check. So you just shared some of the learnings there, but mm. how how have you how did you start building your confidence back up? Mm, mm. So really, the the the, the key learns from last year and kind of what we've done is so firstly, as you've said, always be hiring. You know yeah, what, yeah. what I realised is that um, I left it too late to try and hire because all of a sudden things started to pick up and I was like, right, well now we need to hire people, and all of a sudden you're, you've got more jobs to recruit then, because yeah, the yeah. market's a bit better and you're doing well. But how do you fill? How do you find people? And then yeah. what happens is when you're not meeting enough people, you start to convince yourself the people you're meeting are right because you just want to hire so badly. Yeah. So it's very tempting to lower the bar. So what we've introduced is a candidate scorecard to bring more objectivity to potential recruitment consultants that we join because you might have seen this you meet someone you think oh they're a great bloke I really like yeah. them but actually when you're really honest with yourself and you reflect on it with more perspective yeah. they're maybe not going to be a good recruitment consultant for your business so we've introduced scorecards to bring more objectivity and perspective to our hiring process um, how's that helped 
It, it, it's helped. It's. I think it's just. You well, so when you say scorecard, what do you so mean? So we say right. These are the these are the six character traits that we think are important to succeed as a recruitment consultant at Hawkwood. Yeah. And each of those is marked once one to oh, five. Okay. And we say right. Um, and we go through and we yeah, look at yeah. it so because otherwise you can fall into the trap of thinking oh I really like them they yeah. seem like a great guy uh, or great girl and it's like yeah fine and we fall into that trap I've made that mistake um, so that's brought more objectivity to the hiring process but beyond that is that always be hiring mentality um, of just constantly approaching people and having conversations so that you're when someone good comes along you know about them and you've, you've got a kind of benchmark in your mind that's relatively fresh of what good looks yeah. like it also gives you more confidence you know if you've got un poor performers in your business but you've got no recruits in the pipeline you're subconsciously or at least I am more accommodating of that poor performance because you think well I can't yeah, afford so to lose true. you at the moment so, so if you've got options it just means you can turn the screw if you need to on you know driving performance just a little bit more so that was one thing um beyond that just really like knuckling down on our own internal processes so how can we drive efficiencies internally how can we use data better how can we use our system better um how can we be more systematic about following up on things um you know really that's back side. to basic yeah and training like the, the honest truth of it is i was spread so thin trying to recruit people yeah. into our business you at that size that's the that's what's going to be a lot it's of challenge really for really hard and to be honest what i've done is said right we're, we're going to take a hit on our net profit for the time being by hiring more consultants into our business yeah. and while they're getting up and running but that's going to free up my time to deliver really good training and what I've realised is I get a real buzz out of training yeah. um, and actually I think it's really really helpful because the problem you can have as an owner manager is you don't delegate enough because yeah. everyone comes to you, comes to you yeah, and you're, yeah. you just end up with your arms around everything and then ultimately especially what when sorry to button, but no, you're no. so accessible at the size of course of you, you are. are yeah yeah of course you are you're, you're on LinkedIn all day I've known these people for years Years, yeah. they, they do come to me so but the issue is when you end up doing that you deprive your team of learning opportunities and that's mm. one thing that didn't really dawn on me until probably the last year or so properly so what I've set about now is right I'm going to delegate and I'm going to spend a lot of time training the team and then when a client comes to me I'm going to say look here's the situation I can't recruit every single job that we have we have someone in our team here who specializes in recruiting that role type specifically mm. you're going to deal with them but I'm going to be involved and you can come to me if you need to but they're your go-to person they're going to know the candidates and that's been a big comfort zone because it's difficult to push back on clients what, when you're grateful for them using what, you what did you start to delegate what was client interaction quite oh, that's simply. so okay, cool, you know the clients sense. would come to me and I'd feel like oh I've known this oh, person okay. for five years okay, I've got to manage yeah, this relationship yeah, yeah. and 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 is it is that as simply as simple as being honest it is. It's, it's to a certain degree. It's it's the, the the first thing you've got to do is be prepared to walk away from you know because ultimately um, the issue I had. Clients. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. Because I, basically, I was so incredibly grateful for them using me. I felt like I couldn't say anything to my clients yeah. um, I thought I'm so, I'm so unbelievably happy that you've chosen me over our competitors how can I possibly <laughs> yeah. tell you that you're now going to be dealing with yeah. such and such in my team who you have no dealings with yeah. so the first thing I had to do is think about it objectively and think right they must know I can't recruit every single job um they also know that um, I can't meet every single candidate that we work with. Yeah. So it's a case of this actually does make sense for them, albeit, you know, for them to no, deal with... I'm actually with doing them a disservice by not... But, but, yeah, because by, yeah. by, I won't know the candidates. They're getting second, third-hand information. Yeah. You know, so the, 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 the thing is, it was, a, it was initially starting to get into that frame of mind. The next thing is just not making a big deal out of it. Great, mm. we've, uh, you know, a client emails me, 
I CC and a colleague, great, we've got such and such here who deals with that. Um, could you let them know some availability? Um, and rather than being like, I'm really sorry, I know yeah, you wanted yeah, to come yeah. to you don't make a big, it's the most normal thing in the world. They can still come to me. They've got my number and my signature and that kind of thing. Um, and I, I'm, I'm coaching the guys day in, day out. I'm jumping on, if, if something starts going wrong, I'll jump yeah. on the call and try and help. But I'm just making a way more conscious effort not to deprive my team of awesome. that learning opportunity. Um, quick, just mm. quick, uh, Quick thing before I ask you some last couple yeah, of questions. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you mentioned it when you're t uh, talking about that. Um, how much should people prepare, prepare to take a hit on their net fee income if they're looking to grow and hire? What have you le learned? Because you, you just said there that, look, guys, this is this is why we're doing it. How how much sort of leeway or how much have you? Yeah, to talk a bit about yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. I so, I mean, I don't have like a formula or anything. I think it comes down to your own personal drivers. Like, why are you doing this? Yeah, like, yeah. What, what I've realized is that because when I was a kid, I was always trying to make money doing different things, buying and selling stuff, you know, everything. Um, I've always been told I'm really money motivated growing up. And the, the thing is, um, I believed it for uh, my whole life. And um, and the truth is, I am still motivated by money. But what I've actually realized is I'm more motivated by adventure. Um, I love the hustle and bustle and the game of starting a company, yeah. wheeling and dealing. I just, I'm just addicted to it. I love it. It's, it's, it's my main hobby. It's so um, you say that. The, the only reason why I say it is because like, <laughs> it definitely like so when I when I got my biggest paycheck even now my own business so I invest I invested in a business coach um, which has been great mm. and she realised quite early on that I'm not money motivated she was trying to drill on right okay what what are the targets blah 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 that and, and like I just had numbers looking at me in the face and like I didn't feel anything yeah. do you know what I mean yeah, it just yeah. didn't mean anything to yeah, me yeah. so what I had to do don't know if you've done, ever tried anything like this, but what I had to do was, right, okay, so I've got 100 grand year one target. Okay, so if I actually hit that 100 grand, great, it's 100 grand, but what does that actually mean for my life? Well, that actually means that I'm going to be able to um, go on a holiday with my family, or it means that I'm going to be able to move out with my girlfriend, blah, 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 mm. and actually work out what those numbers actually mean and what it's actually going to bring to me that's important to me and that I'm driven by. Um, and it, yeah, so like when, when I saw when I saw my bank account when I got the biggest paycheck I had in recruitment, had a really good year, be, uh, be, best month that I had, and I, look, I got it and I looked at it and I remember telling my best mates like, I don't feel any different. Yeah. It's such yeah. a weird feeling. Yeah. Like at that point I was like, absolutely just money, 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 blah, blah, blah. But then when you get to that point where you experience some of the most amount of money you've ever had, it like, don't feel anything, any different. No, and and this is the thing, and I think that you know when you work in recruitment, people assume that you are money motivated, yeah. and you you assume that identity yourself. We we tend to conform to what people what we Definitely, think people yeah. want us to be, and 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 that's one thing I realised. So, I. Um, you know, I, honestly, I have to, you know, I, I have to be honest. I do get a buzz out of making money, and yeah, when, when I have when I have accumulated money through doing this, it does give me a sense of pride. Hundred percent. Um, but ultimately, my lifestyle hasn't changed dramatically. My local supermarket is Lidl. I, I, shop, <laughs> I shop there. I use my mum's Netflix logins. Like, you know, I haven't. My lifestyle hasn't changed dramatically, and that what that's made me realise is actually what I love is the adventure. adventure so, yeah. when you're talking about how much would you reduce your net fee income to grow, I think it depends on what your motivations, motivations are. If are, you yeah. just want to make money if I'm honest with you I would stay as a one-person recruitment business I'd have all the freedom in the world yeah. that you want you can make as many or as few placements as you want in a month and you are gonna earn loads of money if you're good mm. um, for me um, I wanted an adventure and I wanted to learn um, and 
this has given me both of those things. I love the risk and the uncertainty that I face every day in, in my life. I love the discomfort I feel being in new situations that I haven't faced before. Mm. Um, I, when I think about uh, what I, what, what kind of person I was two, three years ago, and what I knew at that point versus now. Um, this journey has been uh, incredibly worth it for me. So if I um, take a, a hit on our net profit to bring new people in and, and accelerate that journey and um, increase the challenge and take it to the next level, to me it's worth it. But you know, practically speaking, what you can't be doing is putting your business into financial difficulty. I think that staff turnover, sorry, uh, headcount, sorry, is a vanity metric. Yeah, yeah. You know, when, when I set up my recruitment business, everyone's like, oh, how many people you got working for yeah, you? Yeah, that's the first question you get, isn't it? It's tempting to want to give them a big number, um, but the thing is, uh, you know, it, it's gonna be a very small number if it all goes wrong for you. And actually, once you're, if your business, you know, you're, you're never gonna go bust, probably, because you can just revert back to being a one-person uh, biller and bill again. But ultimately, to then get yourself going again is gonna be really horrible. So for me, you know, I'm, play I'm playing the long game here. I wanna build it gradually and slowly, in, in a way that I'm really, really proud of, and um, yeah, like I, you know, I, I have enough money to to, to live off of, um, and we we turn a profit, um, and that's good enough Love for me that, for mate. now. Um, before I ask you some questions yeah, on yeah. resilience, mm. um, just to sort of round this off, then yeah. thanks. As I said, being so honest, no, no. Um, knowing what you know now, then mm. advice for people that um, looking at starting maybe early on that you wish you got given. No, no, now. What, what would you say? Is this starting a recruitment yeah, agency? Yeah, let's, let's say I'm thinking about starting a recruitment business. Yeah. Or I'm very early on, month in, couple of months in. It's just me in my bedroom and my underpants or whatever. Like knowing what you know now, what what do you wish yeah, someone yeah. would have told yeah, you? Yeah. Uh, so. LinkedIn has commoditized the recruitment sector in the sense that anyone, anywhere with a internet connection and a LinkedIn account can access the same database that anyone <laughs> can access, right? Yeah. So what you've got to ask yourself is there's infinite competition to recruit any job because I recruit HR into tech companies, but if you've got a LinkedIn Recruiter Pro license, one of my clients could go to you and say, can you recruit this role? And you can access all the same candidates that I can. So if we, if we work on the basis that I, I could be substituted by anyone, by definition, I'm not gonna be that successful because where there's competition, there's low prices, right? So why does a waiter not earn a great deal of money? Because actually, they don't have any unique skills necessarily. They are easily substitutable, whereas a niche machine learning engineer has something that's both in demand and scarce, so they earn more money. So the key to being successful in recruitment is becoming hard to replace, becoming hard to mm. substitute. Now, the way you do that is by building depth of relationship. So for example, me and you might send an email to the same HR candidate. They don't know you, they might not reply because they're not looking for a new job. However, if I have a good relationship with them, they might reply just out of courtesy and say, hey, Christian, yeah, we've not spoken for six months. I'm not looking at the moment, but just thought I'd give you a call. How are you getting on? And I'll say, look, I know you're not looking, but this is a really spectacular one for these reasons. They might 
just be interested. Now at that point, my relationship is what's made the difference between me and you being successful. And that's what you've got to aspire to when you're setting up a recruitment business. What you can't do is commoditize yourself and sell CVs and your hours trawling LinkedIn. What you have to do is invest in something that's very difficult to replace, which is relationships. So play the long game, treat your candidates with respect, follow up with them when you say you're gonna do, add value to them, give them CV advice, give them market intel, recommend them to other people in your network, find them a mentor, do anything you can to become difficult to replace for that candidate or client. Awesome, love that mate. Resilience, I think you've definitely had to uh, have resilience in uh, your journey mate. So what does resilience and recruitment mean to you? The first thing to say is that there's no point trying to develop resilience within recruitment if you don't see yourself doing it longer term. Like, mm. If you don't think it's for you, then get out immediately, honestly. Yeah, because yeah. I just think you're just wasting your career um, and you're wasting everyone else's time. Candidates are gonna invest time building a relationship with you. Clients are gonna do the same. You're not gonna enjoy it. You're you're not going to uh, your peers aren't going to respect you on a professional level mm. because you're not your skin's not really in the game your heart's not in it so you know i'm not saying we don't go through highs and lows and i have to be honest there have been times in my recruitment career where i've thought oh my word i don't know if i can carry on doing this and i've thought maybe i'm going to get out mm. um that period i talked to you about before but generally speaking deep down i knew that i was cut out for it and that i um could have a career in it so at that point i think in terms of developing resilience, you it, it just comes back to mastering mindset. Like you have to uh, spend a lot of time assessing you, what, what you want out of your career, what your career means to you. I knew for me, uh, as I said, I wanted adventure. And I knew to get adventure, I'd have to go into a challenging, complex role. I knew to get into a challenging and complex role, I'd have to learn about leadership and emotional intelligence and a variety of other things. So at that point, I'm motivated now to learn about those things because I, they, they, mm. they fit part of a bigger goal. So that encouraged me to go out and read books like Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink, which is a must read for anyone in recruitment, in my opinion. And and things like that because it instills that, that mentality at that point you've just got to not take things personally mm. um, I think that sometimes as a recruitment consultant you can maybe develop a bit of an ego and you start to think that you maybe deserve success now uh, you know because you're working hard and you're doing everything right Unfortunately, the world doesn't owe you anything. And sometimes you're gonna try really, really hard and not get what you deserve, but you've kind of got trust in the process. Like, I, I, we have bad quarters and we have good quarters. And I know that this business could go badly or it could go well, but, I, but deep down, I know that as a minimum, I can I can bill enough to get by because I've done it for long enough. I've seen the highs and the lows and I trust in my experience now to, to, to carry me through. So I think you've just got to kind of trust in the process. Yeah. And you know, if you do have a bad month or a bad quarter, you've just got to think, do you know what? There's, you know, it's, a, it's part of the bigger picture. Mm. And actually crucially, see the lessons in those down times, those bad times. Because for me, as I said before, that period I had at Michael Page where I, you know, um, couldn't hit a barn door, um, that is, has turned out to be one of the, probably the second most important moment in my career. Mm. Um, okay. So there's, there's, there's still, you know, there's a light in every tunnel. How, how has the importance or need for resilience changed as industries evolved? So 
the, I think uh, there are pro- again are probably a couple of aspects to, to this really. So and, and again, it's kind of centered around LinkedIn and what I was talking about. In as much as the recruitment sector is so unbelievably competitive now, because anyone can can do it, right? Um, you know, the barriers to entry are so low because LinkedIn gives you a database immediately. So. And, and to compound that, we're up against a greater threat than ever of direct sourcing. Mm. Um, and so it's it's hard. Um, so I think that resilience is, of course, more important than it ever was before. Um, and I think that the one thing I would say is that I think that slowly but surely recruitment agencies are embracing more contemporary methods of working. So when I first joined Michael Page, it was eight till seven. Um, you had to have a clean shave every day. Um, you know, it was, it was more yeah. more regimented because our, our regional director at the time was ex-Navy. Mm. Um, most recruitment agencies don't operate like that anymore. So actually the environments them cons- themselves are a bit more conducive to positive well-being, albeit there's still some way to go. So in that respect, they are more conducive to um, to, to resilience probably. There's less mm. risk of burnout. But what people need to remember is that with greater freedom in that respect comes greater responsibility. Yeah. Because ultimately, the man, you, you, someone has to manage you, and it's either yourself or your boss. Yeah. And your boss is doing it via KPIs and all of the usual tools. Now, if you don't like that stuff, which is totally fair enough, you have to manage yourself. You oh, have to yeah. show the self-discipline. So as the world becomes a little bit more open-minded to flexible working and things like that, if you want to benefit from those things, you have to be accountable yourself for working within the parameters of that, that framework, basically. Because if you... If you cut corners and there's no one bashing you and telling you that you're doing that, it's all going to come to a horrible end for you, unfortunately. So in that respect as well, I would say resilience mm. is hugely important these days. Last question. Mm. What can people do themselves to instill... You're t- talking a bit about it in terms of resilience in themselves, but what what can people do themselves to instill resilience in their teams? Well, in their teams? Well, I think the first thing is... is, is uh, putting them in the firing line of challenging situations mm. you know like and this is something I've mentioned earlier like I was too I had my arms around everything and I was shielding them every client conflict I'd be jumping in and dealing with it and then passing the message on and I thought well that's the best for the client they get the, the consultant gets the best outcome because I'm more experienced in dealing with it and and, and I get control mm. so I feel safe um, the issue is they don't develop resilience yeah. because they're not in the firing line and they need that experience. And sometimes they're going to fail and sometimes a client's going to be annoyed. Sometimes I fail. Sometimes clients are annoyed with me. Um, but the point is they will develop resilience. So I think the first thing is um, you can't babysit them to that extent. And I was overly idealistic when it came into recruitment. Um, I don't want to go on, but I'm an, an Arsenal fan and I'm a, a massive admirer of Arsene Wenger. And he's someone who's been criticised over the years for uh, mollycoddling his players. Uh-huh. I don't know if you're, you're into football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he, he, he supposedly created a really nice environment yeah. at Arsenal where players didn't need to, you know, uh, weren't punished or and it all got a bit comfortable. And but I, I believed in his philosophy of treating people with, with respect and, and and believing in people, um, and um, you know wanting them to to stand up for people. And I kind of t- interpreted that in the wrong way in hindsight. Mm. I, I tried to mollycoddle them and protect them from clients rather than give them chance to fail. So that's been a big, big learn for me. And I think as a leader of any form, you have to give your team 
opportunity to fail and trust that the walls aren't going to go, you know, burn down. Um, and, and as we've time's gone on, I've got more comfortable with that idea. So I think that's probably the most most important thing, to be honest with you. The other thing is probably feedback. You know, I, I've I've shied away from giving honest feedback to the team before because I've not wanted to upset them. And actually, it's for their own good. Yeah. You're you're doing them a disservice if you don't give them honest feedback. Mm. Cool, I like that, mate. Cool. Um, what are you excited about, mate? Before we finish, um, about in within the context of yeah, anything like or? what? Just what are you excited about in life? Um, that you want to shout about? I, I can say honestly, I I, I genuinely, without wanting to sound cheesy or anything, I, I feel really excited about the future. Um, I think that when I was at Michael Page, I, things went well for me, but I always had this thing hanging over me of. Um, you're not that good because you're, you, if you were, you could do this on your own. Mm. Um, and I can say with uh, you know absolute honesty that to anyone who feels like they really should be doing this, um, you, you should put the steps in place to make it happen as soon as possible because it will be transformative, not just in terms of your lifestyle, but in terms of your self-belief, in terms of your attitude, your mindset and everything. And it's been a truly transformational experience for me. And the great thing about it is that the belief that I've got from the recruitment the recruitment business going okay to this point mm. has manifested itself in other aspects of my life I've, I've, I hold down a gym routine now in a way I've never held down before mm. because I fundamentally have earned more credibility of myself through sticking to difficult tasks and I've also launched at a e-commerce business on the side which is just a little hobby which is now turning into something a bit bigger and um, selling all around the world now and we're hoping we should be from April opening a residency at Box Park in Shoreditch. Oh, nice. um, and these are all risks and steps that I've been prepared to take on the basis that, yeah, I've, that. I've earned credibility myself through putting myself in a difficult situation and, and, and make it work to this point. So, um, yeah. And that all started from you initially taking that leap, right? Which is so cool. It, it is. And that's the thing. And it's just like, I just feel like now, I mean, who knows what will happen 10 years from now. It's just, it's exciting. I used to never want to get out of bed in the morning. I used to really struggle to get out of bed in the morning. Now, alarm goes off at six o'clock. I'm up and about and ready to go. And I genuinely look forward to living. Um, and nice it's just it. something that's been really, really Hawkwind uh, Rowan, 2020. Hopefully, hopefully, yeah, we, we've got, um, so yeah, we're up to seven now. We, we plan to hopefully get to kind of nine or ten by the end of the year, but it just kind of depends on um, how the market goes and how, you know, the new guys fare and, and sorting out some of our internal, you know, processes and training and stuff like that. And, you know, but yeah, um, we, we certainly, you know, want to continue to show ambition and, and continue to grow for sure. We can, mate. Christian, it's been a pleasure, mate. Likewise. Thank Thanks a lot, mate. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I really want to ensure this podcast remains valuable and relevant for all of you. If you have topics or questions you would love me to cover with future guests, then please get in touch with me. Best place to get me is on LinkedIn. Just search Hishimazoos and drop me a message. I would love to hear from you. Finally, if you have two minutes, it would be greatly appreciated if you could leave an honest review for the podcast. It will simply mean that I can reach more people with this podcast. You can easily leave a review for the podcast by clicking the link in the episode notes or by going to ratethispodcast.com forward slash rollercoaster. Thank you again for listening.